From our offices in Washington, D.C., this is Everything About Hydrogen. I am Andrew Leadham, and I am joined by my co-host Patrick Malloy of the Rocky Mountain Institute, just down the road from me here in Washington, and Chris Jackson at Proteum over in London. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Astrid Biagla. Astrid is an energy transition expert at BNP Paribas in Paris, and she is helping the bank navigate the emerging opportunities in the hydrogen economy. And as you know, we love to hear from our listeners here at Everything About Hydrogen. And we have made some changes around here. And we have a new email address for you guys to get in touch with us. So if you want to drop us a line, our new email address is info at h2podcast.com. That's h numeral 2 podcast.com. Or if you wish, you can always find us on Twitter at, at About Hydrogen. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Astrid. And with that, let's get started. All right, guys. Uh, so today we're going to be speaking with BNP Paribas. But before we get to that, I figure the big news uh, in the hydrogen world is, of course, the Hyperion XP1 supercar. Chris, I know you've been posting a lot about that on Twitter. So I think we, uh, we go to you first on that front. Uh, yeah, well, look, I mean, in a sense, there's an element of, um, flattery here, isn't there? Or imitation is the, is the strongest form <laughs> of flattery, right? Which is that, you know, the Tesla approach to getting consumers excited about battery electric vehicles and trying to move beyond the rather unsexy, uh, models that were out there at the time was to create a really aspirational car that people wanted to have. And then once they were able to build that kind of luxury brand, then work their way down towards the model three, which is now sort of taking over the, the car world. And so maybe, this sort of Hyperion is kind of going to be that for the fuel cell world. I mean, the company itself is interesting. The guys have uh, been working on this for a number of years. Angelo, who's the CEO there, I think told me they've been running for about 11 years. Uh, and they've got some quite neat tech as well. Um, obviously, they can't uh, give too much away right now. But it's positive. You know, frankly, anything that gets people talking about and thinking about the wide range of applications and uh, uses for fuel cells and hydrogen, especially things that are really aspirational, like the Hyperion cars that are just really cool i mean put it you know as blunt as it is it's just a really cool car um has to be good for the industry i would suggest um patrick can you see yourself uh persuading rmi to fund a company hyperion <laughs> the company car uh i defer to uh to senior leadership on that one i think um that's an that's an amory that's an amory lovins decision i, I sure um <laughs> well, yeah, no no better man to purchase one for sure um no, I well, like I, I've signed up to buy one. Uh, you know, I presume you both have as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. No, it's, um, it's very cool. And yeah, I, I think, I think what you just said, Chris, around kind of these um, kind of leader models, right, which kind of make people go ooh a little bit, is, is precisely, uh, precisely the, a good thing uh, for the development of the, the markets. But um, yeah, man, like I, I, this is the kind of thing that you're watching you know top gear or whatnot and you say "Ooh, this is cool i like this so um yeah i'm i'm excited to to hear more and to see it i don't know go around the track it i don't know where where they'll run it first but uh yeah it'll be it'll be very cool to see how it compares to some of the uh conventional supercars and there i think there is that there are some other uh ones as well right 
Well, there's a couple of um, people looking at um, Le Mans. I think Le Mans 2024 for hydrogen. So there's a couple of kind of fuel cell um, motorsports vehicles that are definitely being rolled out. So it is interesting how many of the kind of motorsports world um, competitions are looking at hydrogen. I think partly because with Formula E, which has been very successful, there still is the issue of having to charge the batteries on the vehicles, you know, and and the pause that that requires for Formula E. So I think that... that actually is kind of an interesting area of growth. As far as I recall, there's a, a partnership with uh, Hyundai and, and I think Rimac around developing a uh, kind of a, a similar kind of high performance vehicle that um, that could uh, similarly compete, hopefully at Le Mans. And um, yeah, wouldn't that be something to to see uh, uh, a significant presence of uh, hydrogen fuel cell supercars on a on a on a on the big race? definitely see why there might be a, an appeal to that although i'm wondering for the petrol heads whether um it sounds as fun i guess you have to put in the artificial noise don't you so that when they go around the corners it still sounds loud and exciting <laughs> give, give well, the uh, team microphone uh, kind of uh, listening kind of value proposition a new uh, a new value get your get your own artificial car noise uh, straight to your headset that's not a bad <laughs> idea i kind of like that one uh, but on that note, guys, I want to kind of figure out, uh, you know, we're going to be speaking with BNP Paribas today. Uh, is there anything in particular you guys are, are are super interested to hear from their side of things? Chris, maybe start with you. Uh, well, I mean, selfishly, Proteum's doing a Series A funding round in the next couple of months. So I'll be interested <laughs> so to hear. More, this is more of an on-air pitch <laughs> scenario. <laughs> this is like a market research piece. Uh, yeah, no. Um, in market, it, but I mean, it, in all serious, like it's just interesting to kind of hear, you know, the perspective of financial institutions like BNP Paribas. They are a member of the Hydrogen Task Force in the UK. They were among the first uh, members for the uh, Hydrogen Council. They've been very active in this space. Um, and so it'd be really good to just get Astrid's uh, take on all of it to see what they're looking at, how they view hydrogen from an asset class perspective, and uh, also how it kind of fits in with, I guess, this, the broader emerging question around ESG and the sort of pressure that's being put on banks to finance the uh, different assets that are promoting net zero and decarbonization. So I, I think it's just generally really positive. And I think it's a nice compliment to the conversation we have with Elena at Swen Capital Partners. Um, I think it's a good piece to sort of add to that. How about you, Patrick? You got any particular questions you want to throw, uh, throw Astrid's way? Any topics you're particularly interested in? Yeah, just every, everything Chris said. No, um... <laughs> Yeah, yeah you're, no, doing, you're doing a fundraise. Um, well, that's yeah, that, it's, uh, just, just the personal, just for just for Patrick. Huh? In the show notes, they yeah, we'll have a, a yeah, we'll have a, a GoFundMe go link me. in there. Yeah, that's go that's for the uh, RMI Hyperion vehicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go. Yeah, definitely. Very happy to 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 do that. Um, I think Chris is exactly on the money, right? Like we, we, we talked obviously with, with Elena around kind of Sven Capital's efforts. Um, this is a, a different kind of um, kind of position in the financial markets. And it's going to be a very interesting one to see how different challenges in this kind of early market are being considered and contemplated. And also, you know, one of the, the, the interesting themes will be around where hydrogen sits within the the kind of um, the, the realms of uh, consideration in terms of both you know the asset classes, but also like how how they're kind of uh, engaging in the space. Is it a big or small or or kind of uh, pre existing customers or whatnot? So yeah, very 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 interesting. And right. I guess uh, the other thing, of course, to remember, Andrew and Patrick, is that uh, you've managed to actually get a French bank 
um, from and a uh, European national to come on a podcast in August. Uh, so, you know, you have to be uh, also particularly nice that she's taking time out of the <laughs> holiday season to come and talk about hydrogen with us. Yeah, and to support Patrick's big fundraise, right? And she's really, she's really pulled out all the stops on your behalf, Patrick. Yeah, let, let's 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 be clear before we go any further. There is no fundraise. Let's let's focus on the protein more. <laughs> all right, guys. Let's see if we can get her on the line. Yeah. Hello. Hi, Astrid. Hello. Hi, Astrid. Astrid, could you tell us and our listeners, you know, just a bit about your background and your role, your role at BMP Paribas? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so my name is Astrid. I am uh, French and I'm an electrical engineer. And I started, I mean, I've been working in the energy sector all my career. I've started in oil and gas. So quite, uh, quite far away, uh, from what I'm doing now. So I was working, uh, in the North Sea. And then I, uh, I jumped to Africa to uh, work on improving energy access in Africa. And then I joined the bank. I joined BNP Paribas in 2014 to be the electrical expert. Uh, uh, first on the power sector, and very quickly I focused on energy transition from power to a bit expanding to mobility uh, and so on. And now I joined the corporate and social responsibility for the bank, where I am helping all the business line to uh, push the energy transition. Meaning that when a, whether you are in, uh, an individual, whether you're a corporate, you are always using energy. So you can always make your energy low carbon. And usually to do that, you need investments. And this is where the bank comes, uh, comes into the game. And so we're trying to help our business lines, all business lines, being aware of the energy transition and uh, propose the best product possible to accelerate the energy transition for our clients. So that's my job today. So it's a small and- job, not too broad a remit. I'm not the only one. <laughs> and in that context, and in that context, I also, uh, I also took over the hydrogen, uh, the hydrogen coordination for the bank. And, uh, and because I am an engineer working on hydrogen was quite fun, uh, trying to understand the different type of applications and so on. And going back a bit in the technical aspects, uh, was quite enjoyable. And with the pace of hydrogen, it became, uh, quite a big part of my job today. So Astrid, BNP Paribas is amongst a handful of international banks and investors that are members of the Hydrogen Council. Why did you decide to to, to join as one of the the first investor members? And does this this show that you were particularly bullish on the, the future for hydrogen? Well, we actually, we, we even did more to enter in the hydrogen council. We actually pushed the door because we, uh, to, to get in because we were working with them for like two years, something like this, uh, a year and a half, two years. Uh, but they said, yeah, we are, we are an industrial association. So there's no, you can't really uh, be a member, but we can, but we still worked with them. So obviously when they created this investor group, we were obviously more than, uh, more than happy to, to get in. Um, and because it's very interesting in the Hydrogen Council, the fact that there is both, there is all the industries, big companies, very small technical companies as well. And we have some very fruitful discussion between the two, between the, the lenders parts that I belong to and uh, the industrial parts, uh, because we 
we we discuss each other. They explain to us uh, where the technology is going and uh, why they did uh, why they choosing this kind of project, and not the other one. And it's very important for us uh, for for risk analysis. And on the other side, we are also trying to to help and discuss um, uh, ahead of the projects coming. What's uh, what makes a project bankable? What 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 it should looks like and how we can work together to make it uh, to make it better. So it's that's why it's very interesting to to be a part of the hydrogen council. And uh, so we started working together, me with the hydrogen council a year ago, in June 2019, for an investor event. And when I went to the January 2020 CEO meeting. Um, I was quite amazed. I mean, I was hydrogen was one of my topics and I loved it and it was finding a very extremely interesting. But when I came out from this CU events, I was quite amazed. I say, okay, hydrogen was a, was an important topic, but it's definitely picking up at very rapid pace and uh, there's something out there. It's very uh, it's going to go it's going to go very fast and indeed between uh, between January and today I think there's not one week without a major project announced uh, by companies by consortium uh, uh, a country announcing their hydrogen strategy so I'm not optimistic I'm just realistic hydrogen is definitely uh, picking up and uh, today is a time of announcements and uh, but tomorrow and hopefully uh, by the end of 2020 it's going to time of uh, financial closing starting constructions and uh, producing uh, h2 so is the key message there that we should get world leaders to do more meetings in versailles because you know apparently once you're in the gardens of versailles <laughs> that's when the ceos really come out with ideas um it was exactly. beautiful in fairness to them the, the, the event was beautiful so I, I kind of don't blame them um <laughs> so question we actually have Sorry, Astrid. So. No, I, I don't like I don't like this word because it's used uh, too much. But indeed, this CEO meeting was kind of inspiring. The way the way people were, the way CEO were really uh, talking about it. It's like okay, they they're gonna work on it and they're gonna push their companies, their big companies, to work on it. So it's gonna come up with something. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and I guess one of the questions that I, I have for you, because I think this is something that um, you, you were alluding to before, is this, the construction of the Hydrogen Council reflects the fact that it is such a broad industry, the hydrogen industry, There's so many different applications, and it touches on old incumbents and new businesses. And so one of the questions that I, we want to get ahead around is, from BMP's perspective, how did they see hydrogen as an asset class? Uh, because there's something a couple of banks and investors that we've been speaking to really struggle with. You know, should we see hydrogen as, um, you know, in some sense as part of the oil and gas and chemical sector? Should it be renewable sector? Is it infrastructure? Is it all of the above? Is it something completely new? Should it be its own infrastructure asset class, you know, in the same way that oil and gas kind of were? Uh, and it seems like a slightly superficial question, but it is quite interesting because it does change the profile of how people perceive the risks, what sort of returns they expect, and also how people are currently allocated. So maybe you could kind of tell us how BMP think about this and kind of the logic behind that. Well, um, I think the answer is all of the above. It is both uh, depending on the kind of, uh, it's a wide range of applications. So obviously, depending on the application that you're looking at, it's going to be renewable, it's going to be oil and gas, it's going to be infrastructure. The, the way we look at it at BNP Paribas is the fact that um, let's if we take, let's say, renewable energy, we're going to have it indeed, uh, if we look at a project of uh, producing um, hydrogen 
thanks to renewable energy, for example, it's probably going to be the same team who are doing renewable energy today who are going to deal with the financing. Not because they understand renewable energy, obviously it's going to help, but more because it's the same type of financing. It's going to be project finance, so you have the same uh, way of thinking of where are the risks, allocating the risk and the between the sponsor and the lenders and so on. So it's how do you how do you look at contracts? How do you analyze them? How do you what is your risk appetite? It's going to be quite similar. Though this is how we look at it. Same if you look at um, let's say um, the infrastructure, the refueling station, and so on. We're going to look at it. It's going to be the same team who are doing today's infrastructure. If you look at the vehicles, the trucks, the light vehicles, it's going to be a leasing type of financing. So it's going to be the same team. We're not going to have dedicated team for hydrogen simply because it's not going to be it's going to be financing that are going to be the same as renewable the same as leasing so we need the people which are in that in those teams to understand hydrogen so that they don't make a difference between the financing of hydrogen uh, hydrogen truck and the financing of another truck it's going to be the same kind of financing it has to be the same guys so we need to train them we need to make sure that when a client uh, talk to them about a hydrogen need, they understand what they're talking about and they can reply to the client and they can they can know exactly what question asking the, to, to ask to the client in order to get as fast as possible to a proper way of structuring the financing. So the kind of asset class is not that much... Uh, we don't really ask the question. It's really, okay, what is the best uh, financing uh, solution that we can propose to the client considering the project that he that he's, uh, that he's looking at? And, and building off of that, Astrid, do lenders in the hydrogen space and does BNP, is there a preference for, for one color of hydrogen, one form of hydrogen? Are you Typically, are are lenders agnostic uh, from from that standpoint? Well, it is a, it's a discussed uh, topic. It's a lot discussed topic. Um, when we look at hydrogen uh, today, I mean, we've been financing refineries uh, for years, and refineries are using hydrogen and so on. So, I mean, hydrogen is not new; uh, it's been financed for years. But today, what we're looking at is really how hydrogen can help the energy transition. And in that context, uh, there is different colors of hydrogen. There is a blue, there is a gray, there is a green, there is a turquoise, and a lot of different colors. We wanted to make it a bit more rational. So we looked at uh, the EU taxonomy. So to know what is sustainable. If we really only, I mean, if we look at hydrogen as a way to improve the energy transition. So it, it is a type of hydrogen. And in this type of hydrogen, when we look at it and we look at the EU taxonomy, uh, we see that the EU taxonomy has worked on what does it mean uh, for production of uh, hydrogen to be sustainable. That means that the direct emission needs to be less than 5.8 tons of CO2 per ton of uh, hydrogen produced. If it's by electrolysis, the power, the energy mix needs to be less, emits less than 100 grams per kilowatt hour. So that's basically renewable and nuclear. So it's not much about the color, it's much about how much does it emit. And at the end, we see that it's electrolysis powered by low carbon sources or what we can call blue hydrogen, but basically gas, uh, gas reforming with at least 50% of CCS. So this is what we can call, that's what we can call sustainable hydrogen. So that's obviously what could be favored by the bank, but obviously other projects exist and, uh, and it's not because, uh, I mean, other projects exist, uh, 
in the world. What we see as well is the, guy that, the fact that NGOs are starting to say, okay, we need green hydrogen. So that's the NGO's opinion. That's their opinion. We can keep this in mind. But uh, yeah, that's the story is not, uh, there is no, there is no drone line. It's not, uh, it's not all set up. It's just uh, ongoing discussions that we have with our clients as well, because our clients are telling things, are telling us needs that can be a bit different. And we always listen to our clients. Well, I, I mean, just maybe on that, I mean, is, so you mentioned the EU taxonomy. So the closest that the EU has is certify if I'm thinking about sort of a standardization process for how do you assess the carbon relative levels of different types of hydrogen production by production. And you were sort of alluding to some of those elements. Um, is that the metric that you are effectively using or are you using an internal BMP calculation based on certain elements from the commission? And then are you applying that assessment matrix to projects outside of Europe? So if you were looking at a hydrogen project in Australia or in South Africa or Chile, are you applying the same logic you'd apply in Europe? Or are you, again, applying a different taxonomy relative to that particular area? We are definitely going to do case-by-case -case analysis. So there's a, so we will look at the project, we'll look at each project and look at the logic behind each project and how an improvement it is compared to the current situation. Regarding the fact that we, we are a bit waiting for other, other regions of the world to do their taxonomy. I mean, it would be, it would be helpful. Uh, for the moment, we... As a bank, we look at what we have in hands, which is the EU taxonomy. And so obviously we will look at other projects with this, meaning that the EU taxonomy is a goal. It's a goal by 2050. We need to have this. So we also keep this in mind. The, the EU taxonomy doesn't need, doesn't say that it needs to be uh, this by today. So. All this will be combined. I don't know if I'm no, I'm uh, I'm doing an answer, which is a bit yes and no. But basically, uh, we'll do a case by case analysis and looking at how uh, how an improvement it is compared to the current situation for the for each project. So, so in that kind of uh, kind of case by case analysis, you know, maybe expanding the the kind of parameters around it. Are you particularly focused on you know uh, projects of specific size or or tenure or or indeed offtake structure, um, particularly around hydrogen opportunities? We're trying to be very um, we're trying to be very flexible, that's for sure. And we're trying to make sure that we discuss with our clients ahead of the project. The idea, especially on hydrogen, is to try to build the project with the clients as much as possible. Because the structuring of the deals are not made yet. It's not like renewable energy where all the deals are exactly the same, the same, and you have just uh, the Taino and the and the price which is changing, but otherwise it's always the same. Here, uh, depending on the consortium, depending on the application you can have a variety of financing and the, and we are here really as advisor as well to help the clients so that's something that we're trying to do um, trying to do to work with the clients ahead because in terms of size we can go from very small for we we're looking at the moment at a project of four million of euros so it's quite small and obviously uh, the larger the will go with several banks and uh, it can be uh, easily manageable so definitely a different size of project and we can also uh, uh, lease some hydrogen vehicles which are going to be a uh, um, few um, few dozens of thousands of euros um, but the question of the tenor and the yeah the question of the tenor is another one a lender like BNP Paribas, a bank, uh, is not an investor. We are lending money. We're not investing. That means that we have, uh, if we lend 100, we're going to get back uh, 102, if everything goes well. If the project goes 
it goes very well, super well, we're always going to get 102. We're not going to get more, contrary to the investor. That means that we have a low reward. So that means that we need a low risk. That's basically the principle. So because we need a low risk, um, we're going to be, it's not that much of a tenor. We can go to 10, 15, 20, 25 years, depending. But the thing that's how sure are we that we're going to get back those 100 and preferably 102, let's say. So when we look at the project finance, for example, the most important are going to be the first line, the revenues. The revenues is volume. Uh, volume sold uh, times the price. The volume sold, the volume produced. We are quite confident about the technology. It shouldn't be much of an issue. Can have a few percent, but it's not a problem. The volume sold is something else. How do you ensure the fact that you have enough taker and you're going to sell the product? And today is something, but if you're doing a 10-year uh, tenor or 15 years, how sure are you going to be of the hydrogen market in five to 10 years? Where has to be honest, we don't know about the hydrogen market of tomorrow. So how is it going to be in 10 years? How sure are you going to, uh, are we that it's going to be uh, certain and we're going to be able to send the product in 10 years or 15 years? That's why it's going to get tricky. And obviously at what price? So that's where we are a bit, as long as we are a bit certain of these revenues, we can also, we can obviously be, uh, be, uh, lighter on the, on the tenor, doing longer tenor and so on. But we need to be sure on the revenues on the, on the, during the, the length of the tenor. Because today, uh, there is no hydrogen market. So what are we going to base the, the financial model on? So that is the bit, uh, yeah. The tricky part. Maybe being a bit uh, tongue-in-cheek here, um, Astrid, but of course, uh, there's a joke a little bit that investors and banks have been a bit spoiled by um, feed-in tariff structures because, you know, this sort of had a, a renewable market of guaranteed offtake, guaranteed price. And so some would sort of say, well, you know, it's a very typical response every time there's a new industry now that all the investment community say, well, you know, as long as it's guaranteed offtake and guaranteed price, of course, we'll finance it. Um, but, so, but I guess one of the questions is, and we're starting to see this as unsubsidized solar is starting to be deployed, where there is a balance between, as it were, that um, that need for a fixed offtake, but also that willingness to accept some merchant risk, either merchant risk at the at the back end of a tenor. So it's a 15-year financing with 10-year fixed offtake and then five-year merchant at the end, or where you know, maybe it's 15-year tenor, but only 50% is fixed offtake at the beginning and then the other 50% is merchant. You know, I, I guess that's sort of something it would be interesting to kind of get your view on because as a financier of refineries and of sites that already do produce hydrogen, as you pointed out, there must be some comfort with merchant risk anyway because that's already presumably part of what you have historically financed. So I guess it, is the difference more to do with the green hydrogen projects where it's maybe a bit more complex there's more moving parts than it is for blue or gray hydrogen is is it sort of breaking almost that way or are there other facts that are coming into it for sure yeah we have been a bit spoiled with the with the feed-in tariff and that's for sure the fact that you have a fixed price uh, and it was necessary to launch uh, to launch the renewable energy uh, to launch urban in this sector and especially because at that time uh, for example in europe the markets, the energy market was still uh, starting and we see that it's been evolving. And now the reason why we accept some merchant risk is because we start to have some views on the energy ma market, even though it is quite, uh, we, we take some, uh, to know how much is going to be, uh, it's a bit like the same as oil and gas, how much is going to be the brand uh, in 10 years, uh, nobody would uh, nobody would guess. So it's a bit the same on the energy market and obviously it's a bit the same on the hydrogen market. Except the fact that the brands, the brands market has been there for what's 80 years 
and we still don't know how much it's going to be in 10 years. So for a market that is still not existing at all, how much is it going to be? What, what numbers can we put in the financial model? It's not that much the fact that there are going to be a market. Otherwise, if we thought that they're not going to be a market, we would not look at the project because they wouldn't be. But how much, which is the numbers that we're going to put? And it is a bit more difficult. And when you look at the price of the hydrogen for refineries, when you look at the price for hydrogen for mobility, you have a very wide range of price. So how much do you put in the financial model? So it is where, because you can put some very low price. You can put a one euro uh, per kilo. Fine. But your financial model is not going to hold. So it's not working. I mean, you can put something that you're a bit certain on, but uh, it's not going to take you very, very far away. So. Yes, in terms of, um, we have been, uh, we have been a bit spoiled and it's always better to know everything, but, uh, it's also the fact that the bank, are they are lending most of the money of the project. It's 80 to 90%. So, and if everything goes well, they're not going to get much more than that, but they can, go, they can have a lot less than that if the project doesn't go well. So, uh, for sure, we have to make sure that at one point uh, we can take a bit of risk and we can spend some time so looking at project and building it. And time is a bit of money. Uh, but for sure, we need, uh, we need some, we need a bit of, uh, of, uh, of certainty on the revenues and, if the sponsor doesn't want to take the risk because they're doing non-recourse, why should the bank take it, take this risk? So it's a bit, they're not going to get take the the the, the, uh, the rewards, but they're going to take the risk. So this is why it's important to discuss with the clients to make sure that considering the certainty of the revenues, we allocate well the risk between the, the sponsor and the bank. Sure. And so maybe just as you just to round up those elements, could you tell us a little bit about some of the current projects that BMP are involved in, some of the current projects that you're financing that are, I guess, as it were, hydrogen as an energy as opposed to hydrogen as a feedstock sort of uh, sector. If you could maybe talk a little bit about some of those in that context, it'd be quite interesting. Yeah. So when the so for the moment, we have financed one project in hydrogen. It's trucks uh, in Belgium, garbage trucks that are using hydrogen. Uh, one of the very good things, the fact that those trucks are silent, so they're basically going to be used uh, during a wider range uh, in the cities, which are quite useful. I don't know if you have been uh, awake by, uh, by a garbage truck, but in the city it happens quite a lot. So um, having this way is, uh, is quite a positive. So it's the first project that we have been financing. So we're financing those trucks, those hydrogen trucks. Um, it's the first it's only one project. It's obviously not very big, but we're quite happy that uh, that we get started with that. Um, so this is in Belgium. Uh, we have other projects which are quite well advanced. Uh, we are not uh, the chosen bank yet. We are still analyzing the financial model and building it up with the clients. And what is interesting is the fact that it is uh, either in mobility, either in backup generation. You have variety of um, of applications and we have a lot of discussions with clients uh, but i would more say that those projects are more in the pipe uh, than other thing you have a uh, industrial feedstock uh, and you have always a uh, mobility uh, mobility project so we hope we do hope that we'll manage to that uh, few of them i mean a lot of them will manage to uh, to go live uh, end of 2020 uh, hopefully 2021 and Astrid, how does uh, BNP view the, the fuel cell space and, and particularly with regard to the equipment lease and financing models in the sector? 
Well, um, on the fuel cell, we see that we have uh, different models coming up. We saw the first trucks uh, arriving in Switzerland uh, last month. So we start to see to have a different model of a light vehicle. Um, it's nice cars, to be honest. Uh, I've been in a few of them and different models, and it's definitely nice cars. So we see that the models start to be there. It's first series or second series, but it starts to be there. Um, there is a question of the financing. So usually the way we finance those type of vehicles is, uh, is through leasing. We have two leasing companies, one for co company cars and the other one for other type of, uh, of vehicles. Um, the way we do it, and this is the way of this financing, is you have the, the first price, I mean, the price that you pay the car manufacturer, the truck manufacturer. And then uh, we're going to lease it to uh, the company during three to five years. And at the end, we're going to sell it back to a second-hand market. And the difference between the price that we uh, bought the car or the trucks uh, at and the second-hand market is going to be more or less the rents with a bit of margin, obviously, the rents that we're going to propose to the to the company. Here, the problem that we have is that we don't have any second-hand markets on hydrogen and especially on trucks. So is obviously, if we take a risk adverse, uh, risk adverse uh, or conservative approach, and it is usually what the bank are doing. If we take a conservative approach, we're going to take, we're going to take a very low or zero second hand market value. Obviously, it's going to make the whole, if you have to amortize your truck over five years, it's going to make the price of the truck super expensive for the companies. So it's not working. So we have an issue here of the second-hand market. There is almost no trucks on the road. So how do you assess the second-hand market value? And obviously, the price is going to be super sensitive to this end of life, end of life, to this second-hand market value. Uh, so we're trying to find a way within the bank to say, okay, Yes, it's not as it is as usual. We don't have any certainty on the second-hand markets, but the amounts that we're considering are not huge. It's not a, it's not a 100 million euro project. It's a, yeah, a truck is a truck. It's not a huge project. So how can we make this work in order to be able to propose to our clients a price of the truck that is acceptable, which is, which is close enough and that they can move uh, from the diesel truck that they're using, for example, or the diesel vehicle to hydrogen. So it's some that we have to work internally in order to be able to propose something that is acceptable to the client. So that's where. And we, on here, we perfectly understand as a bank, uh, we definitely have a role to play. The car and the truck manufacturer have done their job. They are producing some uh, some models which are quite nice and uh, and uh, with a good. They seem to be good quality for the moment. So uh, so they've done their job. We have to do our job to make sure that we can propose something that is that is acceptable for the clients and we're still working on it maybe just moving back out to kind of a higher level astrid what, what do kind of institutional investors kind of tell you when 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 they're considering or contemplating investments in the hydrogen space are there are there specific themes that you you kind of see coming through that so we see a, a growing interest uh, from investors. Uh, we did an event at the beginning of July for investors and we saw 300 people participating. All the big names uh, were there. So we see definitely a growing interest from big investors to smaller family offices. I mean, yes, definitely a lot of people are, are getting in this uh, in this field. Um, when we talked to them in 2019, we saw that uh, everybody were a bit uh, wondering what to do with hydrogen. They saw that it was coming, us as well, but we're not sure what to do with all the application. At the beginning, you're a bit lost with all the application, not 
everything that you can do with hydrogen. So uh, we are discussing a lot with them to try to understand. Uh, it was basically the people from energy sector who were uh, getting uh, getting some knowledge on hydrogen. And we were exchanging views on what we think about uh, the, the, the best options, the mobility, uh, and which type of mobility are going to be the best uh, the most interesting in the near future. Um, so in 2019, everybody were a bit uh, trying to understand a bit more hydrogen, exchanging views and building up their strategy. We seen end of 2019, beginning of 2020, we saw the first investments. So that was great. Um, and now when we're discussing with them, we have uh, regular regular feedbacks with, uh, with some of them uh, because obviously between investors and banks, we are usually uh, complementary. So we exchange views a lot. Uh, we see that, say, obviously, they want a fair return on their investments. Uh, but they want to have an impact. And that's definitely something that is coming back uh, again and again, and not only on hydrogen, but it is, uh, it's something that is widely, uh, widely recognized by the investors, the fact that they are trying to measure the impact and obviously trying to, uh, to focus their investment on something that is both uh, impactful and having a fair return. And I think that's actually a good place to, to wrap things up. So Astrid, I uh, just want to say thank you so very much for making the time to come join us right after your holidays, I know, so you're trying to catch up. And so appreciate you making the time this morning or afternoon. And uh, we hope uh, you can come back on again soon, yeah? yeah perfect. Thank you, Astrid. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, guys, big takeaways. Let's start with you, Patrick. Anything stand out to you in that conversation with Astrid? Yeah, I think I think there's there's quite a quite a bit, right? Normally, when we when we talk about financing of a lot of this work, we we don't really talk about the um, you know kind of typical kind of regular business financing and, and Astrid's kind of comments around the um, the risk assessment and the the challenges in certain you know aspects of the leasing model are definitely very interesting. But also, you know, talking about the the challenges around assessing the the, the projects on the uh, on the, the you know the blue green plus scale versus you know uh, as she said you know looking at the EU taxonomy as a as a mechanism to test that and looking at the actual emissions factor. There's there's a lot in this. It's in the sense that you know these are some very very real challenges, and and also you know I think on the on the financing part it, it demonstrates. That you know we are in a, an emerging kind of market in a way, in that investors such as BMP Paribas are are starting to come into the space in the in in this way, rather than it being a much more I suppose a kind of higher risk style investment kind of profiles, right? So it's it's encouraging, but it's also interesting how how they're conceptually engaging with the space, and also you know by the sense of things the, the fact that they're willing to engage on smaller projects is reassuring as well you know because you know we we constantly hear about these huge announcements and you know projects for hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars and they're 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 great but also there are going to be smaller projects and there are going to be projects that are going to be valuable and viable at a, at certain scales that that perhaps maybe we we kind of slip by or glide by when we hear about these huge vast numbers that are coming out of like chris thoughts yeah i mean i think um i think you sort of were touching on it so i think my most interesting takeaway probably was um how broad a range of financing solutions bnp are actively considering in the space and also the ticket size as you were alluding to you know 
I think the fact that they actually are looking at uh, vehicle leasing solutions um, and that they're looking at backup power solutions. And again, they're looking at projects in the few millions as opposed to, you know, I spoke to a number of very, very large um, high streets or sort of not high street, but very, very large uh, commercial lenders, international commercial lenders about their ticket size. And most were saying minimum 30 million, minimum 50 million. So BNP are definitely um, among the probably the lowest, I would say, and also willing to take the sort of smallest minimum investment size. And I did think that was really interesting. I think that will actually set them up a lot better than a lot of the others. Um, I remember at the World Bank that that was something that the IFC and the World Bank also realized they need to do more of was actually for new technologies like batteries. They couldn't just wait till it was a 50, 100 million ticket size. They had to write something smaller to get the experience and track record up and then they could kind of do more. So I, I think that was a really interesting takeaway. I, I think also just that Astrid was very good in articulating, uh, I thought, a treading quite a difficult line between the responsibilities that a bank has towards uh, financing all types of different sectors, recognizing that it is a transition um, and trying to align with the goals of um, its investor base, its customers and governments, whilst also recognizing that there are NGOs and others who will want them to move in a certain way and faster than those other stakeholders that they have to represent. Uh, you know, I think that we've talked about the blue-green debate before. I think it's not going to go away anytime soon. There's a lot of um, commentary in the press around why don't we just electrify everything and then maybe we can do a little bit of green hydrogen to fill in the gaps, but why do we even do blue at all? And I think, uh, you know, it's very difficult because on one emotive level, you're sort of, I guess, everyone hears the idea of 100% sustainable, says, great, that's what I want. But then the practical question of how do you get there? What's the timeline? What's the phasing? What does that mean in terms of jobs? And equally, I think something that gets forgotten a lot in developing developed countries is we are meant to be pioneering technologies that developing countries can also use. So it's not just about saying, you know, we can get the UK or France or Germany to 100% renewable. It's also saying, can we create technologies as well and get them to commercial scale that other countries like India or Brazil or China or South Africa can use? And they will be different solutions. And so I think she did a really good job of trading that, which I thought was a difficult line. And what, Chris, I wanted to follow up, you know, you were interested in finding out her views on, or at least BNP's views on, uh, on hydrogen as an asset class. Uh, and what did you think, what did you think of her response to that question? I was a little bit surprised to say, I mean, all of the above, I guess, is the easy answer, but I think I was surprised still because to my mind, it is actually a really important question. Um, because if you think about it in terms of how investors perceive themselves and the type of profile of investments they want, it is something that we at Prodium have been thinking about a lot. How do you, you know, if we are thinking about hydrogen as a merchant play, uh, you know, in, in the sense of a new utility or trying to be a green utility, that is a completely different investment base to a project financing base. And I recognize there are lots of different models for hydrogen, but, you know, one does sort of think that the idea that you kind of split it out as uh, something across multiple different asset classes, does that actually necessarily create problems? Um, and I guess maybe similarly as well from my side, if you do treat them differently and you were to, so you, you keep them separate, you would argue then that blue hydrogen should sit under oil and gas. You'd then argue presumably green hydrogen goes under infrastructure and renewables. And if that is the logic, you then expect blue hydrogen to have a higher return, but arguably a declining pool of investors that actually are willing to be associated with that asset class. 
and you have an increasing pool of investors that want to do infrastructure and want to do green hydrogen, um, but who then are expecting longer tenor offtake structures, more fixed offtake, but perhaps a lower margin and arguably some kind of government price support. And it would have been interesting to get their BMP's thoughts a little bit more, Astra's thoughts a little bit more on how they view that. And I'm sure we know, I know we have a number of banks that do listen to this uh, podcast and who get in touch with us. And by the way, if you are a financial institution that listens to podcasts, please do get in touch with us. We find it really interesting getting your opinions on these things. Um, yeah, I'm sure there will be different banks with different perspectives, but I just felt the idea that it's just bundled in with everything else and it's kind of, it doesn't have its own separate class and it's just trying to be treated as an ordinary investment. I, I've got mixed views on whether I think that's the right approach. I mean, Andrew, from, you know, when you were been working a lot with Inspiration and investors there, you know, and obviously there's a, there was Inspiration podcast, I think there maybe still is called the Joint Venture that's been talking to investors. What's the, you know, uh, how do you think investors should be looking at this? What does, what naturally to your mind do you think of when you think of asset classes and hydrogen? Yeah, I mean, you know, from me personally, I worked a lot on the charging infrastructure side. So really on the, on the battery EV side and we, that was a conversation that was constantly going on is uh, how do we classify this as a, as an, you know, as an asset class? Is it, does it fit into an infrastructure asset class that something like a pension fund would look at uh, as a long-term investment? And does it meet minimum plateaus for investment? Uh, things like that. And, you know, frankly, uh, I, I think to maybe, not dodge your question, Chris, but perhaps harken back to uh, to what uh, Astrid was saying is from the hydrogen side of things. I mean, it does have sort of an all the above uh, aspect to it. Um, from my standpoint, I don't know that that was as much of a dodge of your question as you were getting onto, but um, you know, I do think there's interesting hype around. Uh, you know, for investors, there's a lot of hype around this sector at the moment. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I think at the moment there's a general theme which we didn't really touch on here, but we touched on with Ballard, which is the fact that there is increasing investor interest in ESG and there's a limited number of listed companies that you can invest in. Um, and as a result, every clean or green energy company is seeing a lift from that. You know, you see that with Orsted, you see that with Tesla, you know, and undoubtedly a number of the fuel cell businesses and hydrogen businesses have also seen a lift from that. So, uh, but, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a mixture of those things. It's not just there's a lot of noise about hydrogen, so a lot of people are piled in. I think that's an element of it. But there's also net zero is a really serious issue. There's very limited listed company exposure. You can get hold of it. You have these ultra low, artificially low, well, maybe not artificially, but you have ultra low interest rates, which are pushing people into equities and out of, uh, leaving the money in the bank or out of bonds. And then on top of all of that, you have this ESG cycle as the moment. And those combined factors are all driving prices of stocks to the level which a number of people would have said even a few years ago that seem very would seem far larger than perhaps on a conventional financial assessments basis, you would justify the pricing. But then again, we've also seen that with companies like Airbnb and Uber and um, we work. So, I mean, you know, and, and Salesforce and, you know, Amazon and everyone else. So it's too hard to say, I would suggest. Um, but I am, you know, I, I think I'm really bullish coming out this summer that actually we are going to see some really nice hydrogen projects being developed. And I think that's one of the things that I do want to kind of emphasize is that 
there are going to be disappointments. There are going to be things that don't work. And there are going to be times where people put money in and projects don't work out the way they want and companies don't work out the way they want. But I do feel like there has been a sea change in momentum in this year. And I, I, I'm very bullish for the rest of this year to see a number of those things convert into some more deployments, which I think we all want to see, but also into a really nice pipeline of projects that will start coming through in real seriousness from 2021. And I love the idea of ending on on a bullish note from Chris Jackson. So I think uh, that's where we should wrap it up this time, guys. And that does it for us today at Everything About Hydrogen. A huge thank you to Astrid Biagla of BNP Paribas for joining us on the show. Fascinating to hear her take on the hydrogen space, and we hope that everyone listening enjoyed the conversation with Astrid as much as we did. Thank you, as always, to Patrick and Chris for their unparalleled co-hosting abilities and hard work on the show. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. It really does help us promote the show and reach a larger audience. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time on Everything About Hydrogen. 